Have you ever wondered how theology, apologetics, and real life come together? Join Pastor Brandon as he covers these topics in his series titled Life's Big Questions. Here's Pastor Brandon. From the earliest age, I mean, as soon as they learn how to speak, our kids ask questions, don't they? And they ask some good questions, too. (laughs) I mean, our kids can ask some questions that could stump an Oxford scholar. Let me give you an example. Uh, Here a while back, uh, before bedtime, Andrew, my son, uh, asked me a question. Dad, does God love the devil? And I thought, good night. What a question coming from a seven-year-old. I mean, that's heavy stuff for a devotion time with your kid uh, in the middle of the week on a school night. But kids can ask some hard questions. Uh, There's something innate within the human heart that longs for answers. And so we ask questions. And the reason for this, folks, is that I think we really desire a meaningful life And yet often we wonder what that means. And so the first step to a meaningful life really is asking the right questions. All right, so if you're taking notes, that's the first bullet point there on your outline tonight. Good questions really get to the foundational things that everyone wonders about. And uh, men and women in every generation, every culture, they've asked questions. Questions like these. Uh, Where do I come from? I mean, that's perhaps the most important basic question that any person could ask. Where do I come from? Uh, Where am I going? What about this question? Is there a God? Uh, Is there life beyond death? Uh, Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? How can we know? These are very serious questions. These are good questions. Uh, They're essential questions. And yet, even if we try to ignore these kinds of questions, all it takes is the curiosity of a child or perhaps the death of someone you love to bring life's big questions right back to the forefront, right back to the surface in your life and in your thinking. Now, let me just go ahead and say this right now. Because we live in such a materialistic society, a lot of these questions get buried underneath a stack of stuff in our lives. Uh, perhaps people don't ask those questions like they should because, you know, they're dealing with all of the other things as far as life goes, work-related issues, family-related issues, issues involving finances and jobs and all this, that, and the other. But life's big questions are really inescapable. Uh, And so there's a universal inclination to ask big questions about the ultimate issues of life. Now, at issue is, where do people go to find the answers? You know, where is it that people go to find the answers? So, you know, audience participation, where do you think a lot of people go often to find the answers to life's big questions? The internet, Google. (laughs) I'm going to Google it. Google, is there a God? (laughs) You know? Uh, Where else? Library. Library. Maybe back in the day, but Google's really becoming the new library, right? But people go to consult authorities, right? Authority uh, figures. Uh, Think about religion, world religions, um, famous uh, celebrities. 
So really, people are looking for some kind of authority that they can appeal to to find the answers for these big questions in life. Now, you and I, as Christian men and women, we appeal to the authority of the Bible. We appeal to the authority of God's Word. We believe that in the Bible, we're given answers to life's big questions. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you this. Uh, The Bible is not primarily an answer book for every single question that you or someone else might have. Because there are certain things in life that perhaps we have questions for that, for whatever reason, God has not chosen to reveal the answer. And so when you find yourself confronted with that kind of an issue, you just have to trust the character of God and trust what God has revealed and, and leave the mystery to Him. But the thing is, we all ask questions, and we've all been asked questions, right? Have you ever asked a question of perhaps someone, an authority figure that you thought would know the answer, only to find out they didn't know the answer either? Or what about this? Have you ever been asked a question by someone that you struggled to find an answer? I can tell you as a pastor, that happens a lot. People ask a question and expect an answer, and I have no problem telling folks, listen, I don't know. There are just some things I don't know. And so we need to ask questions so that we're prepared to ask, or we're prepared when people ask us questions. I don't know if you know who Norm Geisler was, uh, but author, uh, has written over 80 books in his lifetime. Uh, I think he went to be with the Lord earlier this year. Uh, was associated with Southern, Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte uh, here before he died. <clears throat> But Dr. Geisler said this. Uh, He said, the sad reality is that far too many Christians, far too few Christians spend actual time studying. And that leaves most Christians helpless to answer even the most basic questions about their faith. He says, statistics show that a whole new generation is abandoning the church because of a lack of biblical knowledge. And this is troubling because questions... In particular, spiritual questions demand answers, and they shouldn't be sidestepped. And so we need to ask questions so that we're prepared, folks, as people of faith, when we're asked questions, big questions. And so really that's what I hope to achieve in this study. Uh, I want to help you ask good questions so that you'll be ready when you're asked questions by someone else. I know that the Great Commission gives every Christian uh, both the privilege and the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel until Jesus comes. I mean, it's non-negotiable. This is our mission. This is what we should be uh, preoccupied with as the church. I often get amazed at what we get preoccupied with in the church. And uh, in many ways, it's a subtle attempt from the enemy to try to derail us in our mission of making disciples. So the Great Commission is a privilege, it's a responsibility. And every Christian, I mean, if you're a Christian tonight, uh, you are linked through a complex chain of events to that pivotal moment in history when the resurrected Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. And we can trace our spiritual ancestry back to that very moment. I mean, thank God they weren't silent. I mean, thank God they went into the world with the, with the gospel answer and they made disciples. And uh, the people who heard them, there were those that believed. 
And then those who heard their testimony, they believed. And on and on and on, it's gone throughout two millennia of church history. And here we are tonight. I mean, just as you have a physical ancestry that goes all the way back to Adam, so also do you have a spiritual ancestry. Thank God for the person who shared the gospel with you. You believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the person who shared the gospel with them. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so down through the ages, like runners in a relay race, others have passed the gospel baton down from one generation to another generation. And so I tell you that to simply say the baton's been handed to us. Uh, We've been entrusted with the gospel baton. Am I going to hand it off to the generation now? And those who are coming behind me, or am I going to drop the baton? I don't want to drop it. And so that's why we've got to be prepared when it comes to asking questions. And so really, this is an exciting thought, but it's also a challenging thought because, folks, we live in some interesting times, don't we? We live in post-Christian America. And in post-Christian America, the world is a very different place than, than where you grew up. You know, if you grew up in the Bible Belt, many of you, you remember the time when everybody just went to church. It's what everybody did. And you remember the blue laws and everything was closed on Sunday. You know, it was a strange thing to see someone out in their yard, working in their yard on Sunday at a certain point in time in the South. Well, now that's totally changed. And so people are increasingly uh, where used to, you'd move into a community. First thing you'd do, man, I've got to find a church to belong to. Well, now, and there was a social stigma if you weren't involved in a local church. Now the tables have been turned, and there's almost a social stigma if you belong to an evangelical church. And so we're living in interesting times. And so we're confronted with this. We sense the urgency of the hour. We know what our mission is. We're to make disciples, we're to share the faith, but then we ask this question to ourselves, what if somebody asks me a question or somebody wants to criticize my faith and I'm not adequately prepared to be able to defend the faith or or give a sufficient answer to someone who asks a question to me? Well, you need to remember that whenever God asks you to do something, he also gives you the resources you need to do it. I mean, God never asks his people to do something, and he's not willing to supply them with the resources they need. Do you think that God didn't know that we were going to be in post-Christian times in 2019? Did that take him by surprise? (laughs) No. It didn't take him by surprise. But let me tell you, the gospel's not emptied of its power. The word of God is not emptied of its power. Our, Our marching orders remain the same. And someone has said that God's commandments are also his enablements. So Jesus promised his disciples there in Matthew chapter 28, here's what I want you to do. Make disciples, but know that your success is going to be contingent upon my presence with you, my power at work in you. And so we have the Spirit of God, we have the Word of God, we have all that we need, but that doesn't mean that we just need to just kind of passively coast our way through life. We need to be good students. Disciple and discipline come from the same root word. And so as the followers of Jesus Christ, part of loving the Lord our God, our heart, our soul, but we love him with our mind. 
And so now is the time for Christians to seriously engage, not retreat from the culture, not continue pretending that, uh, you know, that things are going to be fine the way that they are. No, we need to prepare ourselves to engage. Uh, you might could say it this way. If you didn't get that note, here it is. Great Commission gives Christians both the privilege and the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. God gives us the resources we need to do it. Norton Taylor ain't done this in a couple months. I'm already behind in my PowerPoint. But here it is. Uh, we've got to be ready to give a defense to those who ask us questions. All right, so I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And uh, this is a very, very important verse. Great Commission verse. Peter tells believers, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Older translations say something along these lines. Always be prepared to give an answer. Peter says we need a ready defense whenever we're asked questions about our faith. Now, if you remember back last year, I, I took several months and I actually preached verse by verse through the book of First Peter. And Peter is writing to persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. Uh, in fact, he's writing just before Nero's persecution is going to break out. And so the persecution that these believers were enduring was localized, but pretty soon it was going to be empire-wide, and it was going to get really, really hard. And so there were those who were not Christians in the pagan culture who were asking hard questions, who were criticizing believers, persecuting the believers. And Peter doesn't say, duck and run. He doesn't say, retreat into your corner and your holy huddle. No, he says, be prepared to give a defense. Be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you a question, who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. And so he says the way that they respond to the questions that people ask would provide them with opportunities to share their faith. And so when their persecutors treated them unfairly, their humble and gentle response would afford them the opportunity to share uh, the reason they had for the hope they possessed. But before that happened, they needed to be prepared. Uh, and so uh, that word there, uh, translated defense in the ESV, older translations translate it answer. The Greek word that's used there is the word apologia. It's the same word we get the word apology from. Or what about this? Apologetics. Now, I don't know what you think apologetics, what comes to your mind when you think about apologetics. Um, most people sort of have this idea, it's, it's us apologizing for our faith, you know. Um, at some point in English history, the history of the English language, apology, to apologize, has come to be associated with saying you're sorry. But the actual word that's used there, the Greek word that's used there, speaks of a logical defense in a classroom or a courtroom setting. 
Uh, it's what a defense attorney would do. As so, uh, defend, you know, defending someone in a court of law. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's stating the facts. It's a well-reasoned case trying to prove the innocence of a person in court. That's how that word was used throughout uh, the Greek world. And so Peter uses this word, and he's applying it to the way that we as Christians need to be prepared to give a well-reasoned answer, a well-reasoned defense of the faith. Can you defend your faith from the attacks of those who criticize your faith? Can you give a, a defense? I mean, listen, thank God for personal testimony. I would never say anything that would ever discredit the power of personal testimony. If you're in Christ, you've got a personal testimony. But folks, let me tell you something. The Christian faith is a well-reasoned faith rooted in history. We're not dealing with made-up fairy tales and superstition here. We're talking about God working in real time. The Son of God Himself, Jesus Christ... Suffering, dying for the sins of the world, being buried, eyewitnesses saw him die, eyewitnesses saw him live again after his death, after the resurrection. Documented evidence, multiple eyewitnesses. And so personal testimony is, is absolutely critical. What Jesus has done for you is absolutely critical when it comes to personal evangelism. But you know something? We should also be able to argue from history and theology, this is why Christianity makes sense. This is why Christianity is uh, a logical faith, a well-reasoned faith. That's the word that Peter uses here. And so, again, he assumes that Christian ideas are being misrepresented, misunderstood, mocked, but he's urging these believers to set the record straight. That's what he's saying. But the way that they do it is absolutely critical. <laughs> he says you need to do it graciously. You need to keep in mind your attitude. Your attitude is absolutely critical when you make a defense for the faith. Okay, so, so again, this... The, the term apologetics, it's something that could be frightening. It could be a term that people don't necessarily understand. But when you understand what Peter is saying here, and it's all about a well-reasoned argument for the faith, a defense of the faith, then you really begin to see how it really is a critical component of our discipleship. It's something that's essential in our Christian witness. And the more post-Christian our society around us becomes, the more necessary you and I being equipped in the field of apologetics really is. So the objective then in apologetics, in defending the faith, in answering questions that people have, it's not to antagonize a person. It's not to beat a person down who has a question or who has a doubt. It's not to be argumentative. It's not to be dismissive. I mean, the sign that someone that maybe you're witnessing to you know, the, the fact that they ask you a question, a hard question, that's a good sign. It's a sign that they're probably thinking about things. They're thinking about these big issues in life, these big questions in life. And it gives you and me an opportunity 
to be able to point them to the gospel hope that we have. And so really, when you think about it, apologetics is as much about our personal attitude and our character as it is about the arguments that we present, the facts of the Christian faith that we present. You know, you can defend the faith without being defensive. And sometimes I think that perhaps we avoid questions that people may have because we don't necessarily know how to answer it and we don't want to get into a heated argument. And so really, we've got to rely upon the Spirit of Jesus within us as we defend the faith. And that's what Peter says here. You know, he says, listen, defend the faith, give a well-reasoned argument, you know, give a defense for the faith, but do it with gentleness and do it with respect. So, um, apologetics then aims to identify barriers, barriers to the faith, whatever their nature, and then offer responses that help overcome those barriers. And so in that way, uh, Alistair McGrath says this, he says that apologetics encourages Christians to develop a discipleship of the mind. Before we can answer the questions that others ask us about our faith, we need to have answered them for ourselves. And so, again, this whole business of loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, it's absolutely critical that we roll up our sleeves, and that we engage, we ask questions, we study, and we ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Uh, Romans chapter 12, listen to this. You know this passage. Uh, but I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your what? Your mind. So, so the idea, if we're going to be different, he's saying, man, it begins right here. It begins with having minds that are not conformed to the thought patterns um, and, 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 you know, the theories and wrong beliefs that the world holds to, but our minds are transformed. And it's just the idea that our minds are continually transformed by the truth of God so that by testing you may discern what's the will of God, what's good, what's acceptable, and what's perfect. And so our lives are to be transformed by minds that are being renewed. That means old thought patterns are being replaced by new thought patterns. And so really, um, to be a Christian then is to think about our faith. Beginning to forge answers to our own questions. As we talk about apologetics, we're talking about going deeper into the Christian faith where we discover, we mine out its riches. And it's good for the building up of our faith, for the enriching of our own personal walk with God. And it practically, it helps us deal with the questions that other people have. All right, so here's the thing. I've said all of this to just simply set the table, just by way of introduction, to sort of pique your interest, to get you thinking. And there are several questions that really I've come up with that I want to look at one by one over the next several weeks. Hard questions. And I'll get to those in just a bit. But before I do, I want you to take out that other sheet of paper that you should have. 
okay? That half sheet of paper. Take it. All right, here's what I want you to do with that. You'll notice there's, there's a place for you. There's three spots. I want you to think about three questions, hard questions, as it relates to the faith. This could be a question that maybe someone has asked you. Um, it could be a question perhaps that uh, you have always wrestled with. Let me, ask, let me just say this. It don't have to be the deepest question in the world. It could be a question like this. Will my pets be in heaven? All right? Uh, that's a good question. But what I want you to do is I want you to think. I want you to just write down at least three questions uh, in, those, in those blank spaces provided. Uh, do it right now. Maybe you want to talk to someone next to you to just kind of ask their ideas. Maybe they've got questions too. Y'all can, y'all can collaborate. Uh, but I want you to take just a few minutes. Write down at least three questions that you may have or questions that perhaps someone has asked you. And you don't have to put your name on these because what I want you to do when you're done is I want you to pass them back in to me and I'll tell you what I'm going to do with them, all right? So take just a minute and do that. You having a good, uh, you having a good success? You struggling to come up with some questions? We could all take a trip down the Awana hallway and ask them if they got any questions. How about that? <laughs> I mean, some of the more common questions, you know, that, that I've heard, you know, questions that perhaps you've heard, where's God in the suffering of the world? How do you explain the problem of evil? You know, is, is faith reasonable or is it blind? Um, would a loving God really send people to hell? Or why would he do that? Aren't all religions basically the same? What makes you Christians think that you have a corner on truth? Or you could ask the question that Pilate asked Jesus, which we're going to look at, what is truth? And whose truth is truth? Aren't all truths equal? Take just another minute or two and get those questions wrote down. Now here's the thing. In addition to the questions that I've got on my list, what I want to do is uh, I want to go through some of these and I want to choose some of the very best and we'll deal with them, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about them. By God's grace, we'll attempt, we'll attempt to look at each question. Maybe not every question, obviously, but we'll look at the questions that I choose uh, really from a scriptural, theological, and historical point of view, all right? So if you've got those, you've got that ready, why don't you just pass that this way? Would you do that? And uh, if I could have a couple of you be willing to collect those, I'd appreciate it. You can just bring them to me. All right, so here's the thing. Let me give you a definition, all right? Look, look up here on the screen for this definition. All right, Christian apologetics represents a serious and sustained engagement with the questions raised by culture, people, or individuals aiming to show how the Christian faith is able to provide meaningful answers to such questions. And that's an actual definition given by Dr. Geisler. Christian apologetics, this is a serious and sustained engagement with the questions raised by culture. And let me tell you something, folks. If we're going to have kingdom impact, we've got to realize, we've got to start where people are. 
We've got to start where people are. And a lot of times that begins with engaging the questions that they have. And then seeking to provide meaningful answers to those questions. Um, you know, so someone says, well, what's the relationship really between apologetics and evangelism? Is it the same thing? Well, they're closely related, but they're different. Uh, apologetics, think of it as being like site preparation. Those of you who, you know, if you've been in, you built a house or if you've been in the construction business, you know, a lot of times you'll have to clear a lot. You'll do all of your site prep before you'll ever even begin to build the house. Dig footers. Do all the groundwork. You know, think about uh, apologetics clearing the ground for evangelism, much in the way that John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. Evangelism moves beyond this and seeks to persuade people. So, so we talk about apologetics. You know, it's kind of like clearing the ground for faith in Jesus, but evangelism invites people to respond to the gospel. And so you could think of it this way. Apologetics is conversational. Evangelism is invitational. Or apologetics is showing people that there's a door to another world, and evangelism is persuading them to enter. So both are necessary. Both are involved in the mission of the church. And we can't, be, uh, we can't afford to be lazy or lethargic in our faith. We can't afford to ignore the doubts and the questions that a lot of people have. We've got to be about the business of equipping believers so that they can be confident in what they believe while at the same time offering convincing answers to others for why they believe it. And all the while, listen, we, we rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of the blind. So it's all supernatural work that God's called us to, which is why we need Him. We need Him. So let me just kind of close out by just uh, talking about a few categories of questions and, 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 and just several questions that we'll, we'll attempt to try to look at. You've got questions about God and truth, you know, uh, such as what is truth? Uh, is there a God? If so, why is there evil in the world? Uh, there are questions about creation, about science and the Bible. Um, how did the universe come to be? Is evolution really a viable option for a Christian? What happened to the dinosaurs? You know, was there really a global flood? And then you've got questions about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, this is a theological question, but how can Jesus be both fully God and fully man? Is he the only way to heaven? How do you explain the Trinity? The questions about sin and salvation. Uh, where did sin come from? What about this question? Did God choose me or did I choose him? Or what about this one? And by the way, some of these are specific questions that Christians have. Not so much questions that unbelievers are asking, but some of these are questions that Christians are asking. Can a person lose their salvation? What about those who never heard the gospel? Questions about heaven, hell, angels, demons. You know, what will heaven be like? Will my pets be there? 
You know, uh, questions about the church. Why so many denominations? Is America mentioned in Bible prophecy? Who's the Antichrist? All kinds of questions that even Christians ask. What about questions concerning ethics and moral issues? Can a person be gay and a Christian at the same time? Should I ever attend a same-sex wedding? Questions about culture, questions about politics. You know, should Christians be engaged in politics? And if so, what's the appropriate measure? What about this question? Should Christians drink alcohol? Then there are questions about worldviews, questions about world religions. Uh, what do Muslims believe? And how are they different from what Christians and Jews believe? Are Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses really saved? Questions about marriage and the family. You know, what does the Bible say about the boy? A lot of these are questions that Christians would ask. So we'll look at, Christ, uh, we'll look at two categories of questions, really. We'll look at the category of questions that unbelievers ask. And then we'll look at the categories of questions that even those within the church, questions that we're asking as believers. So let me just say this. If you're someone who's quietly struggled with questions, whatever those questions may be, let me encourage you. Just, just be encouraged. There was a disciple by the name of Thomas who had questions. In fact, he had more than questions. He had doubts. And he met the risen Jesus. Or, or what about a man in Mark chapter 9 who meets Jesus and he's filled with doubts and uh, he says something to the Lord. He says, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And you know what? I think that's an appropriate prayer to pray, don't you? So would you stand with me tonight as we sort of close out? <clears throat> Next Wednesday night, we'll look at really just three questions. We'll talk about what is truth, whose truth is true, is there a God, and how can you know? So, Lord, in Jesus' name, we're just so thankful tonight for your word. God, we're thankful for the faith. God, we're thankful for how you acted in real time in history. And, and, Lord, as people of faith, we know we live in a time where a lot of people around us are skeptical, asking hard questions. And, Lord, we know that we're not going to have all of the answers for some of the questions, the hard questions that people ask. And that's okay. But, Lord, you have given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've commanded us to be disciples who engage the world around us for Christ's sake. So, Lord, I do pray that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, with all of our mind, that we'd be ready to make a defense for the reason, to give a reason whenever folks ask us questions, a ready defense. And so, Lord, I pray that even this week we'll have opportunities to do that. Lord, to point people to faith in Jesus, to trust in the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so thank you for our time together tonight, Lord. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.